Hey, welcome to New City Online. I'm Ron. And I'm Chris. And thanks so much for tuning in today. And hey, if it's your first time checking out New City, we want to say a special welcome to you. If you want to learn more about New City Church, you can do so by going to our website, newcity.us. And if you're ready to take that step and connect with us, we want to make that as easy as possible. Go to newcity.us slash connect, fill the form out there, and I'll be in touch with you this week. Almost a year ago, we moved our worship services online. It's hard to believe. And one of the things that has come out of the last year for us as a church is the creation of New City Online. Ron's done a great job pastoring New City Online. Many people have worked on this. And today we're broadcasting for the very first time from our New City studio, a, a space that was created exclusively for New City Online with a lot of different video capabilities that we didn't have before in some of our other physical locations. So you'll notice a little bit different look and feel today, but know that all this was built over time for you and for the experience of worship in your living room, wherever you might be. And we're really excited to be able to take the ministry of New City and to translate that not only in our own community here in the city of Charlotte, but beyond. And we're grateful to have each of you joining us today. And I want to say, if you live in the greater Charlotte area, we'd love to have you come to one of our physical locations, South Park, Matthews, or Idlewild. But if you're a New City Online attendee, we're so grateful to have you joining us this way. And you'll notice if you do come to one of our physical locations uh, that it's similar to New City Online, but it's not the same. And that's by design, right, Ron? Yeah. Yeah. And we just want to say a huge thank you to those of you who are giving so generously to the ministry of New City. If you want to take that step in helping us bring gospel renewal, not only here in Charlotte, but around the world, you can do so by going to our website, newcity.us give. Now let's get ready to worship together. Welcome New City Online. Come on, let's worship.
Sing it. There's no 
Jesus, thank you so much for this reckless love. This reckless love that's for me, that chases me down, that runs after me. Father, thank you so much for your pursuit of me in my soul. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. Today we're gonna to continue our series, Stories Jesus Told, with a look at the parable of new cloth and wineskins from Matthew 9. So go ahead and turn there in your Bible or the New City app as you have time. Also think of someone who could be encouraged by this service today. Share it on Facebook or grab the link from our website or YouTube channel and send it to them this week. Now here's Chris with part three of Stories Jesus Told. This is a story Jesus told. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pull new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Well, I think you would agree with me that we have experienced our fair share of crisis in the past year, but I'm not sure that anything that we've experienced this past year could compare to the great crisis of 1894 that many cities all around the world were experiencing together. The Times of London gave a one-word headline that described the crisis that they were experiencing in 1894, and the one-word headline was manure with an exclamation mark. You see, cities had grown like London to over a million people. And it wasn't since the fall of, of Rome that cities had experienced that kind of population growth coming out of the Industrial Revolution. And so out of that, horses being the primary mode of transportation, they, they filled the streets. And you can begin to do the math with the number of people and the number of horses. In fact, the article in the Times with that big headline, Manure, said that if something wasn't done, in the next 50 years, all of London would be under nine feet of, you guessed it, manure. So committees were called together, a special committee, I don't know what they called themselves, but a special committee of civic leaders and scientific minds came together to try to solve this great manure crisis. But after a couple of days, they disbanded. They went their separate ways without an answer. They didn't know what they were going to do. See, they were trying to improve their way out of it and they couldn't figure it out. So what solved the great manure crisis of 1894? Well, it wasn't an improvement, it was actually an invention. And the invention was the automobile. By 1912, there were more automobiles on the streets of London and New York than there were horses. And by 1917 in New York, all of the horse-drawn carriages were taken out of commission and replaced by the automobile. The great manure crisis was over. Afterwards, Henry Ford went on to say, if I would have asked the leaders of the day what they needed to solve the crisis, they would have answered a better horse. But it wasn't an improvement that solved the crisis. It was an innovation. It was something new. And that brings us to our latest parable here in our study of the Gospel of Matthew. And it's found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. But before we jump into the parable itself, the parable of the new cloth and the new wineskins, 
I want to talk a little bit about the context that was surrounding this short little parable in verses 16 and 17. And if you have your scriptures, I want to encourage you, wherever you might be today, to open to Matthew chapter 9 as we continue our series on parables. And we look at the parable of the new cloth and the new wineskins. And let's start with a little bit of context of what was going on in the story that Jesus told here. So it begins in verse 9 with Matthew himself, the author of the Gospel of Matthew, telling us his story. I think this is kind of cool. He includes his testimony, his story in the gospel, and it's found in verse 9, chapter 9. He was a tax collector, and one day he tells the story here in the gospel that Jesus was passing by and sees him and turns to him and says, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew leaves his old way of life and being a tax collector and follows Jesus. And in the context, he throws a, a party, a dinner, of which Jesus is invited at his house. And guess who comes to the dinner party at Matthew's place? All of Matthew's friends and his coworkers, all the other tax collectors. Well, the problem is, again, by way of context, that tax collectors were seen as the lowest of the low. And so all of their fellow Jews would look at them and, and see them um, with reproach because they saw them as people that had sold their own people out. They were collecting taxes for the Roman Empire, and they knew all the things that, that their neighbors were into, and so they would report all their taxes. And so they were seen as the lowest of the lowest of the low, and certainly people who couldn't access the faith community. And Jesus is right in the middle of all these tax collectors. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, Day, they're indignant to that. And when Jesus hears their response, this is, how, this is how he responds in Matthew 9, verses 12 and 13. Follow up with me. When Jesus hears about this, the, the religious leaders being upset that he's having dinner at Matthew's place with all the tax collectors, he says to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means, Jesus says. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the answer that Jesus gives to the religious leaders being indignant that he's having a party with Matthew and his friends at his house is to quote the scriptures back to them. When he's, when he's quoting to them, uh, go and learn what this means, I desire mercy in that sacrifice, he's quoting from Hosea 6.6. 6. And the Pharisees would have known this. And they also would have known by way of context that rabbis in that day, when they would teach the scripture as Jesus is doing here to them, when he quotes Hosea 6.6, 6, the, the rabbis would say, go and learn. They would use that little phrase, go and learn. Take the scriptures, the truth of God, and go and apply it to your life. Go and learn what this means in your life. So Jesus is teaching them here, and he's answering them with this really known colloquialism, not only the scripture, but this whole idea of a physician. Look at it again with me here in the, in, in the text, verses 12 and 13. Jesus says to them, a physician comes for sick people, not well people. But, but if you don't think you're sick, you don't think you need a physician. And that's what Jesus is saying by way of answer to them. These people, the reason why I'm having a party with them and I'm at Matthew's house is they've welcomed me. They know that they need what I came here for, which is to give them new life. These people know that I didn't come to make them better because they were the lowest of the low. They couldn't be made better. I came to make them new. 
And because Matthew and his friends knew that, they threw a party and they welcomed him. And Jesus says, you haven't welcomed me. You're questioning me because you don't think you need a physician. You think you're righteous and you're good on your own. So go and learn what it means that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, that I'm looking at the heart and not just the outsides. But it, gets, it, it goes even further here in context. If you look at verses 14 and 15 with me here in our text, Matthew chapter 9, not only was Jesus having a party with Matthew because he had decided to follow him and all of his friends, the tax collectors come, but evidently they were eating on a Monday or a Thursday. And you say, Chris, how do you know that? Well, in the text here, we see in verse 14 that John's disciples, which were a group of people who were still following John the Baptist, they began to question Jesus and his disciples. Why do you not fast? And we know that John's disciples historically and the Pharisees, they would fast on Mondays and Fridays. So the only day that the Hebrew Testament tells uh, the, the, the Hebrews to fast on is the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. But, but they had added Mondays and Thursdays. Two days a week you would fast and everybody would know of your religiosity because you wouldn't take food. Well, guess when Matthew's party takes place? on a Monday or a Thursday. And so this is confusing for the religious people, for John's disciples and for the Pharisees. They don't understand this, that, that you're not following along with the program and you're not showing religiosity overtly through your fasting. And so uh, Jesus answers them and he says, you know, the wedding guest, when they're, when they're with the, the bridegroom, when he's with them at the wedding, they don't fast, they don't mourn, they do what? They celebrate. And he says in verse 15 here, again, by way of context in Matthew 9, there's going to be a day when the bridegroom, when Jesus leaves the bride, the church. But right now, I'm, I'm with you. And so it's a time of celebration. Now, Jesus wasn't condemning fasting. Jesus fasted himself. But what he's saying is there's a reason for fasting and there's a season for fasting. And it's not right now. This is a time for celebration. So I don't want you to miss this. John's disciples, instead of feasting with the Messiah, Jesus, who's right there in front of them, they're fasting in anticipation of the Messiah to come, and they miss Jesus. And that is the context for this parable of the new cloth and the new wineskins, which is, which is found in Matthew 9, verses 16 and 17. This whole idea of the religious people missing Jesus because they couldn't see beyond their own works. And the other thing that we see just before I read the passage, the, par the parable itself, is that these religious groups, the Pharisees and the disciples of John, what's not recorded here in the context is their joy for people like Matthew, who would become a disciple of Jesus, and his tax collector friends sitting with Jesus and experiencing his new life and his grace. They had no joy over that. In fact, they were disappointed. They were frustrated that outsiders were being invited to the table with Jesus. And we have to be so, so careful as followers of Jesus that we don't do the same, that we don't uh, you know, separate different groups of people and, and think that because of their behavior or their past that they can't be welcome to the table of God. You know, The prophet Isaiah describes our, our reunion with God himself as a wedding and this table that we're invited to. And so this picture in context is, is Jesus celebrated and feasting on his grace and his goodness and this new life that he has brought because he didn't come to make us better, he came to make us new. And who misses it? Don't, don't, don't miss this. The people that miss this grace and this new life who were just thinking we can just better our way out of this, improve our way out of this, were the religious people. 
And it's in that context that Jesus tells this beautiful parable of the new cloth and the new wineskins. Listen to it with me, verses 16 and 17, Matthew chapter 9. Jesus says, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth or new cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment and, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins so that both are preserved. What's going on here? What is Jesus actually saying? He's saying that if you put a, a new piece of cloth onto an old piece of cloth, so you think about clothes that you wear that you've washed several times and they've shrunk. If you put a new piece of cloth onto that shrunken cloth, it actually creates a worst tear. And so what he's saying just by way of interpretation is if you take the new life that he's offering by grace through faith and you try to attach it to the old system of the law, it breaks away and creates an even bigger tear. The new life of the gospel of Jesus could not be combined with the legalism or the piety of the Pharisees. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and something new has come that can't be attached to the old. So the church, Christ followers, we were never meant to be patched in to something old. This is a new life. We are a new creation. Let me say it this way. Jesus and this new life, plus anything else, plus, plus something else in your life, anything, actually begins to take away from the work of Jesus. When we add anything to what God has done for us through Christ, we're actually taking away from it. So here's the equation. Jesus plus something actually equals nothing. When I try to add something to Jesus, I'm taking away. And that's what the religious leaders were wanting to do. They were wanting to take their religiosity and their piety and just add a little bit of Jesus to it, and it actually took away from who Jesus was. The people who were irreligious and, and who had no leg to stand on, they were able to receive Jesus because they didn't have anything to bring to the table. I wonder what that could be for you. Let me share what it is for me, my, my something in that equation. Uh, sometimes I want to add to Jesus with my behavior or my achievements. If you know the Enneagram, I'm a three on the Enneagram, which is all about like achievement and doing things. And I believe this lie sometimes that I'm only worth what I can do. That, that people will only love me for my latest achievements. And that's, that's a go-to sin thinking for me. And sometimes I'll, I'll take Jesus, who I love, and I'll add my achievement and things that I want to do to it. And what happens in that moment, guys, is I'm actually subtracting from Jesus. When I try to add to him, it actually subtracts. I wonder what that could be for you. The, 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 the new cloth here represents this new thing that Jesus wants to do, this innovation of grace by our simple faith and trust in God's completed work on our behalf. And so when we try to add something to that, we're actually subtracting from who Jesus is. You can't add to Christ. You can't add to what he's already done. And when you do, it creates a tear. That's what Jesus is saying. And he goes even further with the idea of the wineskins. So not only does he compare it to a, an old cloth and a new cloth, but it's these new wineskins. And, and his audience would have understood. Remember, parables are God meeting us in our reality so that we can step into his reality. He's telling a story that's familiar to us so that we can understand the kingdom of God. 
And so when he talks about a cloth and he talks about a wineskin, the audience would have understood this in the first century because they would take goat skin and they would, they would sew all the edges. And so it was watertight. And so this was like the original wine box, right? These, these, these goat skins. And when you would put new wine into those goat skins that had been sewn together, the new wine that was put in there was like, was like grape juice. It wasn't fermented. And while it was in the container, while it was in the wineskin, it would ferment. And when it would ferment, it would expand. And so you needed a new, fresh wineskin that could expand. If you had an old, brittle wineskin that had already been expanded by old wine, when you put the new wine into it, what would happen? It would burst. And so that's what Jesus is saying. And the audience would have understood that, that if you try to put my new life, my new wine, my new grace and you try to put it in the old system of religiosity, it will burst. And what a great teaching for us. When we try to take grace and put it in our old systems, like for me, like my old way of achieving and thinking that I can just, I can just act my way and do enough things to prove my worth to God. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's like your family heritage or where you grew up or, or just some sort of go-to thing that you add in and you try to, you try to put Jesus and add to it. When we try to put the freshness of God's grace and his new life in those old skins, it burst. And the principle that Jesus was teaching his audience here and what he's teaching each of us today is that Jesus plus, plus something, anything, it actually equals nothing. And that the new life, watch this, the new life that Jesus offers you and me, not by our works, but by his completed work on the cross, that's by grace, it's a gift through our simple trust and faith in him, that can't be contained in our old ways. That the new life of Jesus, the grace of Jesus will, will burst forth it, it, it cannot be contained. So it's I, sometimes I, I think about, you know, like if I put Jesus in a miniature and I want to kind of carry Jesus around and, and pull him out when he's useful to me, and I'll put a little bit of Jesus on with a little bit of works and a little bit of history and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and maybe, maybe you've done that too, it doesn't work. I love what Tim Keller said about this. Pastor Tim Keller, he said, you know, is Jesus, uh, when you think about Jesus, is Jesus useful to you? Like you pull him out of your pocket when you need him? It's, it's, it's I'm gonna take my religiosity and add a little Jesus to it, and he's useful to me? Or he says, he asked the question, is Jesus beautiful to you? You know, you see the beauty of Jesus and what he's done, which is everything. So our response is to worship him and to see him for who he is and really welcome him to our table and be with him Instead of just adding Jesus to something else in our, our religiosity, whether it's our, our history or our own, our own intellect or where we came from, anything that we add to Jesus actually takes away. And so what Jesus is teaching here with the parable of the new cloth and the new wineskins is that he didn't come to, to patch you up. He didn't come to improve upon the existing religious system. He came to make us new. And, and, and God knew all the prophets in the law that were, are written, they're actually a guardian that brought us and point us to Jesus. So that's why Jesus said, I'm not abolishing the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill it. Everything was pointing to Jesus. The apostle Paul says that the old way, the law, all of that was a guardian. 
It, it was a guardian to me that was eventually gonna put my hand into the hand of Jesus, the one that they were all pointing to. God knew that he would send his son Jesus to this earth to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. We weren't gonna religion our way out of this. We weren't gonna committee our way out of this great crisis. It was only Jesus who would come to offer forgiveness and reconciliation by his work that was gonna save us. This new thing. How does that strike you? That Jesus didn't come to make you better, but he came to make you new, to make you a new creation. Not to patch you up or to just take what you're already doing and put a little bit of Jesus into it, but to make you a new creation altogether. Can, can I give you an application, a really vivid application of what this looks like in the scriptures? of someone who would have been in that uh, Pharisee, that religious party here in Matthew chapter nine, in the audience that Jesus was talking to, in the same group of people who were just trying to improve and patch up and just, and just uh, merit their way to God. His name was Paul, used to be Saul. When he was a Pharisee, he was named Saul. And then when he came to know Jesus, he took on his Roman name, Paul. And his, his story completely changes. The old pass away, passes away and the new comes. And, and Paul, all throughout his letters, writes about this, this old life of religiosity and then the, the new life, the new wine that Jesus has brought into his life. This, this innovation of, of grace, not works, but of grace, what God did for him. And in Philippians, in his letter to the church at Philippi, specifically in chapter three, if you wanna cross-reference here, Paul begins to explain and to, to give us a, a real-life vivid application of the parable of the new cloth and the new wineskins. And he says, it was my life. I, I, I was that religious group of people that was, that was persecuting Jesus and persecuting his followers because I didn't understand what grace really was. I was still trying to add to Jesus. And he begins to describe this in chapter three in Philippians and he says, I don't put any confidence anymore in my flesh, like what I can do, my works. I don't add anything anymore. But I, I love Paul because he says, but if I could, my resume, my spiritual resume, my heritage, all the things that I was doing is better than yours. And he gives this spiritual resume, if you will. Go and look at it for yourself this week, Philippians 3, verses 4 and 5. He says, you know, I was born on this day, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a zealot for the law. I was a, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, like the religious group here that Jesus is, is teaching in Matthew chapter 9. And then he says these beautiful words that are an application for us today of this parable. Philippians 3, verses 7 and 9. Let me, let me read it to you. Then Paul says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. So here's our equation. Whatever I had to, to, to put in the plus category, Jesus plus, whatever I had to gain or add to the equation, now is a, I count as a subtraction. That as I'm adding anything to Jesus, it actually subtracts from Jesus. I count it as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss, as a minus, for, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain, here's the plus, I may gain Christ, that's all I need, and be found in him, not having the righteousness, listen to this, 
not having the righteousness of my own, my own works, my own improvement, just patching things up and making me better, not having the righteousness that comes on my own, but that that comes from the law, but that which comes through what? Faith, not works, not my achievements, not my go-to stuff. I wonder what yours is. What would you fill, fill into this? Not from the law or my works, but it's only by faith in Christ, not myself. The righteousness, Paul says here, uh, from God that depends on faith. It depends on trust, not my works, not my religiosity. And if we look at verse eight there, when Paul is, he's on a roll, right? And he's describing, you know, I I used to add something to Jesus. I used to persecute Jesus. I used to think I I was the equation. And and, and then sometimes I'm I'm still thinking about my pedigree and things that I can add to Jesus. But now he says, I count them all a loss and Jesus is enough. And in fact, when I look back on all that other stuff, my pedigree, my history, my knowledge, my all the other stuff, everything, even good things, I count them as the word in Philippians 3.8 is rubbish. It's the only time that Greek word is used in all of the, uh, of the New Testament. The only time that word is used in the New Testament is right here in Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 8, and it translates as rubbish or, you guessed it, manure. What Paul is saying to us is that the great manure crisis of our works, of our religiosity, of trying to improve and gain favor with God through anything that we could do, the great manure crisis is over. And it wasn't an improvement on something that was existing. And it wasn't a committee of smart people and religious people that got together and figured it out. It was only Jesus that solved the crisis. It wasn't an improvement. It was what? It was an innovation. And what was the innovation? The innovation was grace. It was nothing I could do. It wasn't making me better. It was actually making me new. And that's the bottom line of this parable of the new cloth and the new wineskins, that Jesus didn't come to make us better. He came to make us new. We are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away and the new has come. What if you believe that? What if you believed that today? What difference would that make in your life if you stopped orienting to God based on what you could do, your achievements, and you put, you fill in the blank, right? Jesus plus. If you stopped orienting to God and, and identifying with God based on those things, but your only orientation, as Paul reminds us, is by grace through faith, this new life that only Jesus offers us. To him alone be the glory today. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. And thank you that we don't have to add anything to the completed work of Jesus on the cross. If it's your desire today to follow Jesus, just like Matthew did here, just like so many other people have chosen to give up their religiosity, to give up their works, and instead to place their faith in Christ and his completed work alone. If that's your desire today, would you simply pray this prayer with me wherever you might be today? God, I believe, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you accomplished for me through the cross what I could not accomplish for myself. 
I confess to you today that I am a sinner in need, in need of your grace, in need of the great physician. And so I trust you today. I place my faith in you, Jesus, and I renounce my faith in myself. Help me now to live my life for your glory and by your grace and not by my works. And help every single one of us, whether we just prayed that prayer, whether we've prayed to receive Christ years ago, or we will pray to receive Christ, help us to remember the truth of your gospel to us today. Give us the wisdom to know what you're speaking to us through your word today, your word of grace to us, and give us the the faith and the courage now to go and to live it in our lives. We'll give you the glory for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's been so great to worship with you today, New City, and we want to finish our time together by celebrating the Lord's table. So in the message today, we talked about grace and this new grace that God gives to us through his life. And so communion, the table of God, is a celebration of the grace of Jesus, and it's a reminder to us of what God has done for us. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed with his disciples, uh, he took bread and he gave thanks for it. And he said, this bread represents my body that is given for you. Uh, Take and eat of it. And then likewise, he took a cup. And he said, this cup represents my blood that's been shed for you. Again, this this new covenant, not an improvement, but this, this new covenant, this new promise that God is making with each and every one of us by grace through faith, the completed work of Jesus. And Jesus says, as often as you eat of this bread and you drink of this cup, the new covenant, you remember my sacrifice. So that's what we're doing today. We're remembering what Jesus has done for us. We're remembering that the old has passed away and the new has come, that Jesus didn't come to make us better. He came to make us new. And so I want to invite you, all Christ followers, to participate in this today. So gather your elements now. And if you need some time, go ahead and pause and come back to it. But please take the bread today and give thanks for it. It's the body of Christ. It represents his body that was given for you. And likewise, the cup now. Uh, Please drink of the cup, remembering of the the blood of Christ that was shed for you, that was given for, for the forgiveness of your sins, and celebrate that new life and grace that Jesus has given to us. This is the table of God for you, the people of God, today. Let's celebrate together, and let's finish our time in worship today by singing. There is a sound I love to hear It's the sound of the Savior's hope As he walks into the room Where people pray Where we hear worship here 
you feel like God has stirred something in your heart during this sermon, maybe for the first time, we'd love to know about it and celebrate what he's doing in your life. As a church, we wanna come alongside you and equip you with the resources and the community to help you take those next steps closer to Jesus. You can send me an email directly at rdasher at newcity.us, or you can text or call the number below, 704-389-5333. Now, if you would, extend your hands for a benediction as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Turn his countenance to you and give you peace. Go in peace, New City.